Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 107. It's May 7th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at InvestableWealth.com. Well, in today's episode, I'm going to answer listener questions that I've received about how to teach kids how to invest and save. And for those of you that don't have kids, well, this podcast is still for you because wealth building principles are just that. They're principles. They apply to children as well as adults. But before we get started, just a quick comment on the market. All I'm going to say is that we continue to see a lot of turbulence. The S&P was up slightly today. Um, it's right at its 50-day moving average. It's been below its average for about the last two trading sessions. One example of why I keep calling this such a turbulent market is if you just look at the S&P 500 and its 50-day moving average. Now, as I said, we're sitting right on that today. We might bounce up tomorrow, and this could be a good buying opportunity. Personally, I'm still staying out because I think it's such a turbulent market. And what I mean by that, just one example, one quick example. Year to date, we've seen the S&P 500 break below its 50-day moving average probably something like nine times, and we're only in May. If you think back to 2013, we saw the S&P 500 only break below its 50-day moving average maybe something like five times. So we're already nearly like twice what we saw happen just a few years ago, and we're only halfway through the year. That, to me, indicates a change in personality of the market and why I say we're in a very turbulent market and why I'm concerned right now. At this point, I'm also not interested in making what would be considered more safer investments like bond funds because we don't know what's happening with interest rates. Just this last week alone, we've seen the interest rates move up significantly, not only in the United States, but also in overseas markets, particularly with the German Bund. We have no idea what the Federal Reserve is going to do with interest rates in the future. Right now, the 10-year Treasury closed today at 2.18%. Um, it was up just yesterday as high as, I think, like 2.25, so 2.25%. If you remember, just a few weeks ago, we were talking about interest rates being as low as one9 so although that doesn't sound like very much in terms of the interest you're getting paid at your bank, it is still a considerable move up in interest rates. Any large move in interest rates could have a significant impact on the principal in mutual funds or exchange-traded funds that invest in bonds, particularly if these are longer-duration bonds, bonds that are out 10 to 20 or 30 years. You need to be very careful with that. So the market's turbulent all the way around. Just the other day, Investors Business Daily moved their market status down to uptrend under pressure. We've been in an uptrend under pressure status for something like 60% of the time this year. It's very concerning. It's not a time for the faint of heart to be in the market. As always, I would just encourage you to invest with caution. Hey, before we jump into the main topic, I also want to welcome all the new listeners. Thanks for stopping by and checking out the podcast. If you haven't gone back and listened to the first 10 episodes, I'd encourage you to do that. That's where I lay out my thought process and my principles on building wealth. I call them the 10 wealth building principles. That'll help you get a better reference point and idea of my perspective and where I'm coming from. And it'll tell you a little bit about how I've developed my wealth over these last 30 years. I don't believe in get rich quick. I'm not a real estate flipper. I don't buy and hold. I believe to build wealth, you have to follow three key steps. The first step is to learn how to make an income, how to be an earner. The second step you do in parallel with that is learn how to save. And then the third step is investing. That's what everybody wants to talk about, but it's really the third thing you need to do. Personally, my preference is to swing trade. That's where I take positions in the stock market, whether I invest in exchange-traded funds or common stocks or whether I buy long or sell short. But I take my positions over a period of weeks to months. I believe that the market moves in trends. There's always a, a pendulum that swings left and right. I try and take advantage of those trends. I follow the momentum. 
And during choppy times like we're seeing right now, I stay out of the market. I stay in cash or a cash equivalent. I believe that's the best way to prevent me from having a catastrophic loss and experiencing the calamities that happened with the dot-com bubble in the 2000s or the housing financial crisis of 2008. So like I say, if you're new to the podcast, go back and check out those first 10 episodes and then come back and follow us every day and you'll hear me chime in with my thoughts and comments on how I'm trading. I'll provide you with some commentary about the marketplace. I try and answer listener questions, but I always come back to those 10 wealth building principles because that's not only how I built my personal net worth, but more importantly, it's how I attained personal freedom. I like to say that money may not buy happiness, but it can buy freedom. It all depends on what you do with it. So, hey, that gets us right into our main topic today. Now, I've received a lot of questions about how to teach kids or how to teach your children how to invest. Well, being the contrarian that I am, I'm going to tell you, you don't teach children to invest. Think about my own wealth building principles that I just talked about a few seconds ago. First, you have to learn to earn, and then you have to learn to save, and then you have to learn to invest. Well, that's the same thing that applies to kids. Now, I know it's it's not glamorous to talk about savings. People always want to talk about investing. That's what Wall Street wants to always hammer you with. Be an investor. Be an investor. Well, when you're a saver, they generally can't charge you high fees. They can charge you a lot of fees if you think you're an investor, though. That same thing applies with your kids. And it's even more so with children, because think about it. They have a very small time frame. I mean, if they're like 16 years old and they're starting to save up and they either want to buy a car or they want to save up for their education, well, what's their time frame? Two years? I mean, what kind of an investment time frame is two years? Remember, I told you, I don't have any get-rich-quick schemes. Investing in the stock market definitely pays dividends, but it doesn't happen overnight. It requires discipline and skill, and that's not what a teenager or a child has. They don't have either of those things. And you don't want to start them off with a bad experience. Think about a 16-year-old kid. They like GoPro, and so you say, hey, let's go out and buy a, you know, share a GoPro for them. Well, it may work out, but what if it tanks 80%? That's not the kind of experience you want them to have. And so in this podcast, I'm going to try and tell you the experiences that I gave my kids and what I think would help you with yours. And again, even if you're someone that doesn't have children, listen to what I talk about with these saving steps, and they may help you be a better saver as well. Now, I get the whole concept of teaching kids about stocks and, you know, encouraging to them to understand the economy and, and helping them with things that they buy, like, you know, if they like Under Armour or they like a particular type of Disney movie, you know, you can show them how if they invested in that, they could make money, etc., etc. And that's all fine. I get that. I like that. And I don't say that I don't do that with my kids, but here's the difference. I don't put my children's money in those kind of investments. If my kid, say, is in love with Under Armour, Maybe I'll go out and invest in that company, and then when it makes a profit, I'll show them that. I'll explain that process and that principle to them. But I'm putting my own money at risk, not my kids. Again, because they have just too short of a time frame to invest. I don't want them to have a bad experience with investing. I want investing to be positive for them. And I also want them to learn those principles of first being an earner and a saver and then investing. The other thing about investing is, unless your kids have a whole lot of money, they're going to get eaten up in transaction fees. I mean, that's even at a discount broker. I mean, how much money is your 10-year-old going to have? I mean, let's just think about it. Let's say your 10-year-old daughter loves the movie Frozen or, or your kids are just infatuated with the new Avengers movie out right now and so they want to go out and buy Disney stock. Well, that's great. Well, Disney's selling for like $110 a share right now. So unless they have a really big piggy bank, they're not going to buy too many shares at Disney. And then again, depending upon what type of uh, discount broker you're, you're working with, your child's not going to have that much money in their account, so they're not going to get favored transaction fees. They're gonna, it's going to cost them, what, 10, 20, 30 bucks to purchase that stock, and then when they turn around and sell it, they're going to have to pay the same amount. I just don't encourage that for kids. 
I know some of you too have talked about having your kids go out and buy precious metals because you know over the long term that that gold or silver is going to appreciate. And this would be an example where you're not having them buy it for like uh, to use in two or three years for college education, but you wanted to, to appreciate, you know, for when they're say 30 or 40 years old. Well, I get that and that makes sense. But again, I wouldn't do that with the kids' money. Let me explain what I mean. If you want to go out and buy a silver coin or silver bullion as a gift to give to your child or a grandchild or something, and you do it with your own money, well, that's great. So rather than going out and buying a kid, you know, a junk toy for $50, buy them a couple pieces of silver. I get that. That makes sense. I like that. Teach the kid about the value of hard currency. Teach the children about what gold and silver represent. Use that as a learning experience, but do it with your money. Don't do it with the kid's money. Again, think about the transaction fees. I don't know what silver's trading at right now. It's somewhere between, say, $15 and $16 an ounce. So let's say a kid has $30 and he, you know, is going to go out and buy a couple ounces of silver. Well, look at the transaction fees. What's he going to pay on that? He's going to pay probably $2 or something above the spot price. So right out of the gate, he's already lost like 15 or 20% of his money. That's not a good way to teach kids about investing. As I say, if you want to do it with your money, that's a great idea, but don't do it with theirs. So that's why I think you should focus on teaching your kids to be savers and not investors. The investor part will come over time. Trust me, I have six kids. I've seen it with all of my kids. I don't sit down with them when they're little or when they're teenagers and, and show them stock charts and uh, you know teach them about moving averages. I don't do any of that stuff. What I did with them are the four principles that I'm about to share with you. And it's worked out just great with my kids. They have an appreciation for money. My children that are older that have all graduated from college, they funded their own college. That included their room and board, their books and everything. They always had jobs from the time they were teenagers. They have a respect for money. And now as they're becoming adults, they're learning more about the nuts and bolts of investing. But they come to me and they ask me about specifically how to invest or, or what to do with stocks and bonds and things like that. Because when they were little, I first instilled in them the principles of earning and saving. And when they understood those principles, now that they're adults, they have an interest in how the economy works. And because they've grown up with me and their whole life experiences, seen their father investing and buying stocks, they naturally want to do it on their own. But now they're older adults and they have the capacity to do it. So when they're ready, they'll come to you. Isn't that the old Chinese saying? When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So here you go. Here are the four things that I use to teach my six kids how to be savers. First thing, rule number one, parents, you have to be the example. You have to teach by example. You have to lead by example. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you're putting everything on your credit card and you're stressed out at the end of the month because you never have enough money to pay the bills, then you know what? Your kids are not going to learn how to be good savers and investors. It's that simple. They're going to see what you do. So the first thing you can do is start cracking down and making sure you're a good saver yourself. So that's rule number one. Number two, you should be having money and economic conversations with, with your kids that's age appropriate. And again, I'm not talking about teaching them hard economic principles or getting down to the nuts and bolts about how to invest in stocks or what's the difference between a corporate bond and a treasury. What I'm talking about is having conversations with them in terms of money and economics to teach them how to think. You want them to develop critical thinking skills that are based on logic and reason. And then you factor money and things like that into it. For example, let's just say you're sitting around with the family, you're watching TV, and a commercial comes on. When my kids were little, I'd always say stuff like, what are they advertising? Because, you know, you may be watching a, a commercial that's advertising a car or, or advertising a soft drink, but the emphasis of the advertisement is all about the beautiful people in it or about how happy they are or about the activity they're engaged in. And little kids may not get that. I mean, they're seeing some funny thing happen or, you know, you're watching the Super Bowl. 
and your kids are seeing this cute little advertisement about a puppy, but right at the end of the day, that's advertising Budweiser beer. Your children need to be aware of that kind of stuff. So you say, hey, you know, what are they trying to sell us? It's a good idea to teach your children that everybody is always trying to sell them something. So have those kind of conversations with them. As you experience things day to day, let them see you taking that money out of your wallet, paying for groceries or paying for gasoline. Or if you're using a credit card or a debit card or whatever, explain that to them. Explain to them that it's just not a piece of plastic that you can put whatever you want on there. That you receive that bill at the end of the month and as a responsible adult, you pay that bill off. Explain to them about how you pay your mortgage or how you pay your rent and what a proportion of your salary that is. I mean, you don't have to get into the specifics, but just give them an idea of, hey, you know, mom or dad had to work three hours to pay for this activity that we're currently engaged in. Have those kind of conversations with them. Let them think about it. If they want to go to Disney World for a vacation, you should do that. Take your kids out. I mean, have a good time with them. Spoil them, but let them know what it costs. They'll be shocked and surprised to know that you had to work for weeks or months to make that wonderful vacation happen. And when they understand that, it'll not only make them better consumers and smarter adults when they grow up, but hopefully it'll make them appreciate you as a parent. Now, the third thing I want you to teach them about, and this is the principle of scarcity. You've heard me in previous episodes talk about basic economics, and understanding economics can be boiled down to two things. The first principle of economics is to be able to manage scarcity. There are scarce things out there. You only have so much time and money, and you can't have everything. So you have to choose wisely, you have to be able to prioritize, you have to be able to identify value. That's the ability to manage scarcity. The other principle of economics, and it's the fourth thing that I want to talk to you about with our kids, is pursuing incentives. So like I said, the things that apply to adults, well, they apply to children as well. Wealth building principles are principles regardless of the age. So these next two items we're going to talk about, items three and four, for teaching your kids how to save or to explain to them the principles of scarcity, and then I'm going to go on and talk to you about incentives. But I wanted to emphasize the reason that these two things are so important is because that is basic economics, learning how to manage scarcity and learning how to pursue incentives. So about scarcity, well, how do you teach that to kids? Well, as I was just using in the previous example, when you're going through your daily life, you teach them that things cost money. There's consequences to our actions, right? If we touch a hot stove, we could get burned. When we go to the store and we load our grocery cart up with a lot of items, well, we get to the checkout counter and we have to have money, right? There's consequences to our purchases. We have to be able to pay for that. Like we talked about with the vacation to Disney World, mom and dad had to work for many days or weeks or months just to be able to afford that vacation. Well, that's where you integrate that into scarcity. You teach them that we live in a world where you can't have everything. There are choices. There are consequences to those choices. And if you have A, then maybe you can't afford B or C. And so they have to develop value judgments. What's more important to them? Would they rather have A or would they rather have B? The best way for them to understand about scarcity is for them to spend their own money. Because remember, when they're spending mom and dad's money, that's never scarce. They didn't do anything to get it. All they had to do was ask. If they're spending their own money, whether they're spending it on a college education or whether they're spending it on a, a piece of candy at the store when they're just a little kid, well, they understand scarcity because they understand what they had to do to acquire that money. So a key principle for your children or your teenagers to learn scarcity is to ensure that they have their own money to spend. 
So like I talked about with basic principles of building wealth. So you want to teach them how to earn money and how to save money. Now as a little child, maybe the only money they're receiving is, is gifts for their birthday or for Christmas or some other holiday. Well, that's okay. Don't let them spend all that money. Make them save some of that money. The only way they're going to learn about scarcity is if they're spending their own money. The only way they can spend their own money is if they have their own money. So encourage them to save, whether they saved because of gifts that they've received or whether they saved money that they earned for, for doing a, a chore or a job around the house. The important thing is, is that they have their own money and they're saving it. It doesn't matter if it's in a bank account or if it's in a piggy bank or if you keep it for them. What you want to stress with them is that they somehow develop some type of an income stream and now they're keeping it in reserve. It is a scarce resource. They didn't receive $10 and the next day go out and spend it. They held on to that $10. You want to teach them the value of that $10. So how do you do that? Well, once they've saved that money, you know they're immediately going to want to go out and spend it. If they're a little kid, they're going to want to buy candy or they're going to want to buy the latest toy or they're going to go want to rent a movie or go to the movie theater. If they're a teenager, they're going to want to go out on, a, on dates or buy gas money or buy a car. There's never going to be a lack of things that they can spend their money on. And that's okay. But you just want to rein in their expectations and let them know that just because they have money doesn't mean they can spend it. And this is where you have to put your foot down as the parent. You have to be the leader and you have to take charge. You have to realize that you're not your kid's friend, you're your kid's parent. And just because they won something or just because they have, you know, quote, their money, they can't go out and buy it. You put limits and you put restrictions on those things. You're the parent, they're the child. So the way you make this happen is once they've saved their money and they want to go out and spend it, you make them wait. If they're a little kid and they want to spend a dollar on a candy bar, you only make them wait an hour or, you know, the next day. You know, if you're in the store, if you're in Target and the kids want a candy bar and they have their own money to spend, well, you don't let them buy it right away. You say, well, no, you got to wait till we go to the next store. You know, maybe we're going to go to Walmart after we go to Target. You can buy it there or you can buy it after dinner or you can buy it when we come back tomorrow or whatever is age appropriate and just appropriate for this situation. If it's a teenager, you're not worried about them spending a dollar on a pack of gum. You're worried about them spending a lot of money on a car. So you would make them wait. You know, maybe they've saved up several thousand dollars. They're going to buy a car. Well, just because they get the money and it's, quote, their money and maybe they worked for it, doesn't mean that they can go out and buy that car. Remember, you're the parent. You make them wait. You make them wait maybe weeks or months to buy that car. Again, you have to do what's age appropriate and what's appropriate for that particular situation. But you always have to put that time period in there. You want them to wait. That's part of the scarcity. Another reason for this is, and this comes to the, the ability for them to be able to distinguish between making decisions and, and being able to value things and being able to determine whether they want A or whether they want B. Oftentimes, when you make them wait, they're going to change their mind and want something else. So when they're at Target and they wanted that candy bar, well, maybe by the time they get to Walmart, they're going to change their mind and decide they want a toy instead. And so again, that's where you make them wait. You need them say, well, no, this is a bigger decision. This is more money. This is a different category. You just wanted a candy bar. Now you want to spend your money on a toy. You have to teach them that discipline. The same thing with a teenager. They may have their heart set on this old Mustang they want to buy. Well, you make them wait for it. Make them consider. Make them think about it. Hey, do you know how much gasoline is going to cost for that car? Do you know how much it's going to cost to, to buy your insurance for that car? Do you know how much uh, new tires are going to cost to put on that car? Once they consider all the expenses, well, maybe they won't want that Mustang. You know, maybe they'll understand that they can't afford a, a high-performance sports car, and they'll settle for something different. You're ultimately going to let them buy the car. The point isn't to deprive them of things. The point is to help them make wise decisions. 
That's why when they were little, you started to teach them the principles of how to think for themselves, how to use critical thinking skills, how to use logic and reason. So that's how that works, and that's how they learn about scarcity. Now, the fourth step to teaching kids about being savers is to teach them about incentives. And you want to do that by providing them opportunities to experience incentives. For example, you want to see that they get paid for doing jobs or for doing chores. Now, I'm not saying that you got to give your kid a dollar every time they take out the trash. They live in your house. You have certain rules. You expect them to perform certain chores, and you shouldn't necessarily have to, you know, pay them for everything. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, they have to clean the room. They have to take out the trash. They have to uh, wash the car. I don't know. Whatever you make them do, that's fine. But at some point, you need to find some extra little things that they need to do, whether they be chores or, or jobs around the house, or if you help them get jobs in the neighborhood, you know, when they're younger, or you encourage them when they're teenagers to get jobs where they're working at fast food restaurants or, or whatever opportunities they may have. But you want them to learn how to earn money. When you earn money, whether you're getting paid because you're taking out the trash or because you made your bed or because you mowed the neighbor's lawn, there's a certain amount of pride that comes with that. You're learning that you're trading your time and your talents and abilities for money. That reinforces what we already had taught them about scarcity. They received that dollar or that $10 or that $20 because they had to provide something from themselves to get that, whether that was time or whether that was their talent. It originated with them, and they're being rewarded for, for the job that they accomplished. That's an incentive. It's very important that you teach your children to pursue incentives. This is a critical thing for them to understand not only for their economic health, but just for their overall understanding of, of what it means to be a person and to live in a society. We all have to contribute, and by contributing, we receive rewards. Some of them are just social accolades. Other times, it's hard cash, but they need to understand how to pursue incentives. Now, these next two things I'm going to talk about, I think they're the most critical things you can do to help your kids learn about saving. And this will ultimately relate to their understanding someday about being an investor. Uh, but these two items both fall under this category of, of helping them experience incentives. So this isn't a different category. It just, it's all about the incentive part. And so can you think of a better way of incentivizing your child and helping them learn to save than by matching their savings or by chipping in and, and helping them uh, purchase an item that they, they're saving up for? So think about this. In previous episodes, we talked about the 401k. We talked about how one of the things I loved most about it was the employer match. You know how excited you are when you put a dollar into your 401k plan and your employer matches you a dollar. Well, do the same thing with your children. Whenever your child saves a dollar, well, match them. Match them a dollar if you want to, or maybe match them 25 cents or a nickel. And again, it's all age appropriate. It depends on what they're saving up for uh, or how old they are or where they're at in their particular maturity. The important principle that you want them to learn about saving is that it's helping them build their net worth. It's helping them build their wealth so that they can put that wealth to use for other things. And the best way to help them understand the principle of building wealth is for them to build wealth. So if they're just a little kid and it's taking them forever to save a dollar, by you kicking in a quarter or 75 cents or whatever, their money's growing that much faster. And as long as you don't spoil them with it, they'll understand the scarcity of it. They'll get the fact that they had to save or they had to work to get that money and that mom or dad is just kicking in and providing an incentive to them. This is a great way to teach them the principle of interest or compounding interest. And this is also a sure-fired way for it to work out. Like we talked about earlier, if they go out and buy a stock like GoPro, well, maybe it collapses and they lose 80% of their money. But if you encourage them to save $100 and you were matching them dollar for dollar, then whenever they get to that $100 savings, they've now doubled their money and they have $200. That's a much safer environment for them to learn about investing and how their money can grow. 
So I would wholeheartedly encourage you, match your children's savings. Again, make it age appropriate. You don't have to go overboard and certainly don't do anything that's that's going to spoil them or be extreme or be outside of your budget. If all you can afford is to match them 10 cents on a dollar, then match them 10 cents on a dollar. It's certainly a better interest rate than they're going to get down at the bank. Okay, so this last item, it's really the same thing about matching their savings, but it's a little bit different of a variation, because when I think of savings, I think of more long-term, right? Your child is saving up for college, or they're saving up for something they're going to want in three or four years, and, you know, this is something that the little dollar or the $5 or the $100 they're putting away, it's not growing as fast as it would as if you helped kick in with a match. And so they can stay more excited and more enthused when they see that, you know, every dollar they're putting in, you're putting in a dollar, you're putting in 50 cents or whatever. That helps them overcome the time lag on when they're going to get this money. And particularly if they're little kids, you know, saving up for something way out in the future is just not fun, right? I mean, if they're 10 years old, they're saving for their college education. Well, that's at least eight years away, and it's hard for them to get motivated about that. I'll tell you a quick story I just thought of about one of my kids, and this is my my one child that's really my spendthrift. I'd say of my, of my six children, five of them are all pretty much... Uh, good savers. Some of them are extreme savers. Others are, are just above average. But my one child, you know, hey, there's a black sheep in every family. My one kid, he just loves to spend his money. I remember when he was a little kid, I'd always be telling him, you know, don't waste your money, don't waste your money. And he'd, he'd get his two or three little dollars in his hand and he'd just hold it and shake and he'd say, I want to waste my money. Well, one time when he was about four years old, I had him open up his his first savings account. And he had, um, because of birthday money and little chores or stuff he had done around the house, he had saved up $72. He had saved up in his piggy bank. And so we opened up his piggy bank and he had $72. I said, well, hey, it's time that you go down and you open up a savings account. So I took him to the bank and I had him give his money to the man and, you know, fill out the paperwork and do all this stuff. And I was trying to encourage him. My other children had done that and they thought that was really cool. Well, when him and I walked walked out of the bank. He had his little savings book that they'd given to him. And he looked at me and he was just so mad. I could see the anger on his face. I said, what's wrong? He said, I just gave that guy 72 bucks and all I got is this stupid book. So it's not going to always be easy. Your children are not always going to want to do this, but it's important that they understand to save. And that's why you matching it can help. And the other thing in terms of that matching and the saving is, let, let's talk about this last area being of, of things that they can do more short term, where you can kick in and help them with purchases as opposed to just saving. And so that's what I want to distinguish here. Before we were talking about contributing to their savings account, that's long term. And let's talk about short term. Let's talk about ways that you can chip in and contribute to things that they want to buy in the short term. For example, if your kid wants to buy a new video game or something and it costs $100, well, maybe you tell them if they save up $50, you'll kick in $50 or whatever. You'll If they save up $75, you'll kick in $25. Or if they save up the full amount, you'll pay the tax or, you know, whatever it is. Again, you have to do what's appropriate for the age and what's appropriate for the child and what's appropriate for your budget. The same thing would be the case for a more expensive purchase like a car when your child's older. Maybe they've saved up $2,000 and you're going to match them $2,000. And then you go out and you help them buy a car. The thing I'm trying to stress here is that it's not only important that you teach them to save and develop those uh, incentives and the understanding of scarcity for the long run, but you also want to help them understand about these small purchases. Again, because they are children, they're adolescents, they're younger, they don't have the maturity of adults, you do want to help them with those more impulse buys or those more day-to-day spending type activities. So it's a great idea to teach them incentives by chipping in and helping them buy things. The important thing there is that a percentage of it is their own money, their own money that they had to save up either because they received it from gifts or because they received it from working. That's how they're going to learn about incentives. That's how they're going to learn about scarcity. 
Ultimately, your purpose is to send them into adulthood knowing the two things that most adults don't know, and that's that they need to be an earner and they need to be a saver. And then once they've achieved those two things, they're going to come back to you and they're going to say, Mom or Dad, how do I grow this money? How do I invest this money? And that's when they're actually old enough and mature enough and they have the resources to go out and be a successful investor. So those are the four main points. That's what I think you need to teach your children to be savers. As adults, if you apply those things in your own life, you'll find that you're a better saver. I just want to sum up by reminding you that Wall Street always wants you to think you're an investor. In my opinion, that's primarily because that's how they charge you fees. Don't focus on being an investor until you're ready. So whether you're teaching your children or whether you're teaching yourself, first start out by learning how to earn and then save and then worry about investing when it's appropriate. Well, hey, thanks to all of you that sent in questions. That's where the theme of today's episode came from. If you do have a question or concern or you want to get in touch with me, you can do that through the website, which is wealthsteading.com. Until our next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.